Section 3 of The Voyage of the Pox and Allegory by Dom Bede Cam, OSB. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Mozart Jr. And first the stranger bade the lads cleanse well their hands and their bare feet, for the food whereof they were to partake was sacred, and might be eaten only by the clean. I saw then a table spread upon the deck, though methought it had rather the form of an altar of sacrifice. A snowy cloth covered it, and thereon were laid white bread and wine in golden vessels. The strangers stood before the table, and the children knelt around. The grace before the meal was long and full of wondrous beauty, and as the stranger raised his hands in blessing, the dark clouds which were gathering o'erhead parted, and from the cleft there streamed forth rays of dazzling light, brighter, it seemed, to me, than ever sun that shone and as the rays beat down upon the table, my eyes could scarce see clearly for the glory. But methought I discerned hovering over the bread and wine a dove of snowy whiteness, and when I looked again it was gone. Only I saw the stranger and his little flock kneeling with bowed heads, as though in awe and worship, and there smote upon my ears strains of unearthly music, passing sweet to hear, as though an unseen choir were gathered in the heavens above. And presently the stranger arose, and holding in his hand the golden dish, he laid upon the tongue of each a round white loaf, light as a snowflake, and methought that upon each loaf I saw imprinted the form of a lamb. But when he came upon Calixtus, the boy shrank back, striking his breast and crying, Domine non sum dignus. But the stranger smilingly bade him have no fear, for that he needed the food more than all the rest. And then they each drank of the golden chalice, and I saw with wonder that from this slight meal each rose refreshed, with strength renewed like young eagles, so that I saw that this was no common food. And gathering round the stranger, they sang a hymn of praise unto the great king, who had filled them with good things, for that his mercy endureth for ever. And it seemed to me that I heard their hymn of thanksgiving echoed from the other boats of the flotilla, proving that on them, too, the same mystic meal had been partaken of, and the same strength vouchsafed to the mariners. And now the stranger bade his children sit round about him, while he gave them further directions for the voyage. A fair sight it was to see. The boys, with their eager young faces, still lit up with traces of that celestial light, fixed on the venerable form of their guide as they sat round him on the deck, or leaned against the bulwarks of the vessel. "'My sons, my dear sons,' he began, "'we have finished safely and happily one part of our voyage. Yonder rock is, as it were, a milestone on our way.' telling us that we have now made a quarter of our journey. But far the hardest part remains. Up till now all has been plain sailing, but the storm is gathering overhead, and we are about to venture away from the sheltering shore forth into the pathless deep. Very fierce are the waves of this ocean, very strong are the currents, and woe to the hapless mariner who falls overboard. For in this sea dwell fierce sea-monsters, ever seeking whom they may devour. Yet are ye safe as long as ye obey my voice, and work hard at the oar, as I have told you. Nevertheless the labor is great, and though the reward offered by the prince is far, far greater, yet some there may be among you too faint-hearted for the work. If there be such, there yet is time to seek another vessel. The king's great transport, the Praecepta Dei, lies but a few fathoms off. In her, too, ye will be safe, and your labors will be far less arduous. For the crew of this pilot-boat we need brave souls, who do not shrink from toil, and who look but to the glorious crown that awaits them in the golden city. For though all who cleave to the Praecepta Dei will come to port, 
only to you and those like you, who man the prince's pilot-boats, will it be granted to sit with him at his side, and be his chosen friends and dear attendants. Choose then to-day, while yet there is time. Will ye take the harder lot to gain the richer prize, or be content if ye can but arrive in safety at the port? He paused and looked round upon the bright young faces with a questioning smile. Father, said Agathos, speaking modestly but firmly, Father, for my part I long but to do the prince's will. Since he has chosen me for this post of honor, gladly and joyously will I endure the toil. Fain would I be numbered among the sons of that most blessed one who first built and manned this gallant ship. Little Theodore, clasping his brother's hand, cried, And I will be with Agathos. Gladly and unhesitatingly came the same answer from them all, nay, from all but two. Two there were that sat, with downcast eyes and shamefaced manner, unwilling as it seemed to speak. Theophilus, said the stranger to one of them, what is in thy heart? Father, said the boy, hanging down his head, I am not strong, and methinks life on board the pox is too hard for me. If thou permittest, I will seek the Pachepta Dei, and take my passage on her. It is well, my son. And thou, Calixitus, the stranger continued, for it was he who still had not answered, as he went and leaned over him kindly. The boy looked up, his cheeks afire, and his eyes glistening. Father, he whispered, I am not worthy. Nay, my dear son, hath not the blessed one said, Never despair of the mercy of God? But I am not worthy to be with these whom the prince has called to lead their brethren. How can I set an example to others, who are more vile than the lowest, more miserable than the outcast? Calixtus, thou hast learned the lesson which thy fall was meant to teach thee. Far more fit now that thou hast learned to tread the seventh degree of the ladder of humility, that when a gay and thoughtless child that didst first set foot upon this bark. Thou wouldst fain serve thy prince and be near him for ever? Father, it is my one desire. Then fear not, for he hath chosen thee. Calixtus looked up, full of a joyous confidence which lit up his whole face and beamed from his eyes. Ece ad sum, he murmured, fiat mihi secundum verbum tum. And now a signal is made to the king's transport, and a boat soon put off to fetch Theophilus. Sorely did his companions grieve to part with him, for he was a gentle lad beloved by all. But sadly he shook his head when they pressed him to stay with them. Indeed I dare not, it is too high a lot for me. And so he was taken from their sight. And now the stranger called his young crew once more around him, and told them that now they had made an irrevocable choice, and that they must know that henceforth they could not leave the prince's ship, but abide in her until they came to shore. Henceforth they must obey him with implicit trust and ready hearts. Henceforth they were the chosen mariners of that great Admiral Benedict, by whose directions they were to make their course. And each lad, one by one, beginning with Agathos, and ending with little Theodore, came forward and knelt up before this stranger, henceforth to be their captain, and with hands folded between his own, promised solemnly and publicly obedience to his commands, and to the rules laid down of old by Benedict. And in token of the solemn contract made, the captain gave to each a tunic sable as his own, and round their waists he bound a cord with three great knots, and round their necks he hung a medal bearing on the one side the figure of the Blessed One, and on the other the arms of the great prince, whose special servants they had now become. For Benedict the Blessed was himself a mighty admiral of the prince's fleet, and none could carry out his will unless the prince had first chosen him for his own. End of section three.